The parshus of the Torah that deal with our father Yaakov raise a very disturbing question that the Torah itself does not address but that gnaws at the uh, guts of all of the Mepharshim. Yaakov Avinu is the symbol of emes, of truth. the The verse that we say, that's their attributes. Those are their attributes. The attribute of Yaakov is Emes, and the attribute of Avram Avinu is Chesed. When we look at the story of Yaakov Avinu, and uh, we look at it literally as it's presented by the Torah. It's hard to see where the Emes of Yaakov exists. The primary example is naturally when he uh, purposely misleads his father in order to gain the blessings. His father is sightless. And he follows the instructions of his mother. And he pretends to be Esau. And in so doing, he obtains the brachas which Yitzchak intended to give to Esau. And now he has given them to Yaakov. And that's Esau's complaint. Esau's complaint is, He has cheated me twice. He took advantage of me. I was tired and hungry, famished. I had to have something to eat. And Yaakov uh, says, uh, Okay, I'll give you supper, but you have to sell the Bechorah to me. Esau says that's a forced sale. There's an interpretation that Esau said to him, I'm going to drop dead here now. I'm, I'm faint. I won't survive now. So so why should I worry about the Bchorah? I have to survive the next ten minutes. So Yaakov takes advantage of him. And Yaakov takes advantage of his father. 
His father is sightless. So his father says, Akol Kol Yaakov Who is this in front of me? And uh, the Pesach says that he answered, Ani Yesav B'chorecho. I'm Esav, your firstborn. Rashi there says, you should read it, Anochi, I am who I am. Esav B'chorecho. But that's not the simple shot in the Pesach. And now we will find uh that uh, he is forced to flee, which is this week's parsha, and he arrives at the house of Lovin. So there are many issues that are raised here as well. Lovin says to him. I know that you don't want to uh, sponge off of me. You don't want to. Achatz me, I'm sorry, you're my relative, etc. But uh, who's going to pay the bills here? So Yaakov says the strange thing. Yaakov says, Evodcho Hashem Hashonim. I am willing to work for you for seven years because of you'll give me Rochel Bitcho Akhtana. Because I'll marry Rochel. Where did he get that figure seven years? Should have told him three months. Six months. How long can you be with your in laws? There's a limit. Seven years. And then uh, when he discovers that uh, it's Leah and he wants, still wants Rachel right away, it's another seven years. What lies behind that? And then what happens? is that, so to speak, Rachel, because she is compassionate for her sister, people are faced with hard choices in life. So she betrays Yaakov because she doesn't want to hurt Leah. Famous Gemara that we all know that Yaakov uh, and Leah, Yaakov and Rachel had a series of uh, simanim of uh, it's like a code. And uh, she gave she gave over those simanim to her sister Leah, so that at night. He did not realize that he was with Leah and not with Rachel. There are all sorts of midrashim here 
Some say Rach and Leah were twins. Could have been identical twins. We're hard to identify who's who. But in any event, he thinks he's with Rachel. It says, So Yaakov says to Lovan, Why did you cheat me? So before she will ask, why didn't he say that to Leah? She's the culprit here. Not to Leah. He's he's in Leah should tell him I'm Leah. Why do you, he thinks she's Rachel? So there's a, there's a, an astounding measure that Leah said to him, listen, we're a perfect match. You said to your father, you're Esau. I say to you, I'm Rachel. We're perfectly suited for each other. And therefore, he doesn't say a word to Leah. We don't find in the whole Chumash that he says anything to her about that. He says it to Lovan. Lovan answers him, you know, that's uh, we're a civilized place. We have norms, we have etiquette, we have manners. Cannot give the younger one before the older one. But to Leah, he says nothing because the, the Medrash says he is haunted his entire life by the event that took place that he fooled his father. He never escapes that moment. And therefore, whatever happens to him in life, he. Uh, attributes it to that. And because he feels that he was wrong, that he should not have done it, so therefore he never complains. We'll see uh, later. He's uh, fooled by his sons. They bring him the shirt of Yosef. And they say, Hakir no. Do you recognize whose shirt this is? Aksonas bin So they don't tell him that what happened with Yosef. They construct it in such a way that he himself will come to the terrible conclusion. There's a great discussion in the Mephorshim over the centuries. Later on, when they're all reunited in Egypt, and they're all together, and everything is patched up, 
what is Yaakov's reaction to what happened? Does Yaakov reprimand the brothers for their behavior? So on one hand, it looks like he does. Because when he doesn't bless uh, Shimon and Levi, he makes an oblique reference to the fact that their intent was to destroy the shore was the symbol of Yosef. Or, and the Medrash says, uh, by Ephraim and Manasseh, when he crosses his hands, and Yosef wants to place the hands in the correct, what he thinks the correct order should be, on Manasseh first and then on Ephraim, so ya- Yaakov says, Yodati bni Yodati. I know, I know what I'm doing. So the Medrash says, Yodati bni Yodati. I know the whole story. I know what the brothers did to you. I'm aware of everything. But he never tells the brothers, Yaakov. We don't find directly that he criticizes them. So there are fortune that say he never knew the story. And he didn't want to know the story. That also is something that's true in life. There are many times that we don't want to know it. You want to know how we got here. So again, why doesn't he want to know the story? Because he knows that he himself participated in the sham. That he himself also bears the guilt of fooling his father. So if he fooled his father, his children fool him. Uh, that's, so to speak, the retribution of heaven. Now we will say, as we do, that it had to be this way. The, uh, the Jewish people could not survive against Esau if Esau had the brachas. Rivka realizes that. But to us, we don't understand the whole concept of the brachas. But apparently that... The brachas are the life-giving oxygen for the survival of the Jewish people. Without the brachas, we wouldn't be here. So you had to have it. So we have cases in the Gemara, for instance. A person, uh, uh, let's say... Uh, person is, God forbid, on oxygen. He has to have oxygen. And he doesn't have his oxygen tank runs out. So he steals his neighbor's oxygen tank so that he can live.
is that permissible? And the Gemara discusses it, different cases. When one's own survival is, so to speak, dependent upon doing what is essentially an incorrect act. And uh, in the Second World War, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of Jews who survived by pretending they weren't Jews, by going to church. We have no word of criticism for them. It's the only way they could survive. Is that a good thing? That's a different question. So here Yaakov Avinu so to speak reads how heavenly judgment is ascribed. There's a concept that's called mitzvah boba avera. You perform a mitzvah, but the performance was contingent upon committing an avera. The Gemara in Sukkot discusses it. If you steal the esrog and lulav of your neighbor at the bench to make the brachas. So do you have the mitzvah? It's a mitzvah above avera, the mitzvah that comes with the sin. So how does heaven judge these things? So apparently, this is what we see from Yaakov Avinu, that heaven is exacting. Heaven realizes, so to speak, that you have to do it. That there's no other way to survive. And that it's... uh, a necessary act, so to speak, but it's still wrong. And therefore, there will always be retribution. There will always be a price to pay. And Yaakov realizes that. And therefore, in all of his behavior, we see that he doesn't complain. He's not like Job, Eov. He doesn't say, why is heaven doing this to me? The only complaint that we ever find by Yaakov <coughs> is that he tells Paro that I didn't, I didn't live as long as my ancestors did. There's a whole discussion as to why he said that. But he doesn't complain. And uh, at the end of the Parsha, when he speaks to his wives, before they flee from Lovan, he describes the life that he had. 24-7, I have to watch for his sheep. 
I freeze at night and the day I'm burned by the sun. It doesn't complain. Because in his mind, this is part of the retribution for what happened before. And therefore he can see that even in the actions of his sons. They, they uh, created a uh, false narrative for him. But he had created a false narrative for his father. And therefore he doesn't find room to complain about it. He doesn't find uh, self-justification. So oftentimes in life, necessity impels us to do things. But that doesn't change the judgment as to what we did. And if a person has that uh, type of uh, vision or understanding, so that many things in life make sense that otherwise don't. Because the judgment of heaven is very exacting. It says, The Rabboni Shalom HaShelo Shochad. The Rabboni Shalom does not take graft, bribery. So the Gemara says, What kind of Shochad can you give the Rabboni Shalom? Shochad mitzvahs. And the fact that you do a hundred mitzvahs a day, good. That doesn't erase the one of that you did today. Everything is judged independently, so to speak. Judged on its own merits. So that's part of the idea of Titan Emes Liakov. Liakov sees the truth in heavenly judgment. It doesn't mean that Yaakov is the paragon of truth. Because we see in the Torah, not. And how do we understand the, the story about the sheep? That he somehow uh, magically makes all the sheep conform to uh, the flocks that he's going to have, not to love them. But the emiss is that he sees that in heaven everything is judged perfectly. And it's judged independently. And in life, therefore, there are many occurrences, many situations where the person is justified in what the person is doing. But there will always be retribution for what was done. We were in such a quandary here in Eretz Yisrael, right? Every day, every day is another incident. Why? In the general picture, 
we're 99% right and they're uh, 99% wrong. But in heaven, you're not judged that way. And therefore, there's retribution every day. We see in the world, uh, anti-Semitism is uh, on a major rise in the world. It hadn't been this way since the 1930s. Jews this, the Jews that, the Jews that. So again, in order for the Jewish people, the Jewish state to survive, we have to uh, be practical. And many times that results in behavior that uh, is not exemplary. So there's retribution for that. Even though in the general picture we have to do it and we're correct in doing it. And if we wouldn't do it, God forbid, there would be nothing. So that's the emiss that Yaakov sees. Amos that Yaakov sees that in heaven the scales are so finely adjusted that there's retribution for everything. The Gemara says, Call me Shomer Shakurish Borchu Vatranu. Anyone who says that God doesn't care, that he passes over details, makes a mistake. That's not true. So, retribution is part of life. And since uh, all of us uh, at one time or another make errors that we wish that we could retract, so that therefore many things happen to us in life, that are simply the mirror image of what we did. And that's the retribution that's involved. So the Maseovo Simon Labonim, what happened to our forefathers, and what's part of our tradition here in Chumash Breshis, is really an explanation of what happens throughout Jewish history and Jewish society that shall all be taken into account. It's all part of it. And that makes life very complicated. But on the other hand, it also lends a simplicity to life that we didn't realize existed before. So Yaakov has to get the brachas. But there's retribution for fooling his father. Yosef has to go down to Mitzrayim. But there's retribution to the brothers 
which Yosef will exact from them. And there's retribution to Yaakov, again, because of the fact that he is, supposed, he is supposedly uh, told a fairy tale by the brothers, and he is fooled by his own children. In light of all of that, so then Yaakov comes out greater. And where it says in Tzadik Yechda, the Posak, there are no perfect people, so even our greatest people are not perfect. But in their imperfection, we learned a lesson. And uh, the lesson here is undoubtedly the fact that there is retribution even for necessary behavior, even when there's no other choice, even when it is permissible. Nevertheless, in the exquisite judgment of heaven, there always is a balance. There always is a retribution involved. Because of that, therefore, we can understand why it said, because Yaakov is the one that sees that emes, he's the one that lives it, he's the one that understands it, and it remains, therefore, his way of living in the imperfect world in which he is forced to exist. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for coming. Shabbat Shalom.